Welcome to the 160th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Peter Abrahams, author of many crime thrillers, including Oblivion, The Tudor, The Fury of Rachel Monet, and many others. Writing under the name Spencer Quinn, Peter Abrahams is the author of the Chet and Bernie Mystery Series. This interview was conducted at the Crime Bait Conference in Boston, Massachusetts. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by the book-loving nerds at Riffle. Riffle is an online book community that connects readers with authors and books that they'll love. Readers use Riffle to find the next book that they want to read. And authors use Riffle to make their books stand out and drive sales. Join the Riffle community today at rifflebooks.com. That's R-I-F-F-L-E-B-O-O-K-S.com. And look for the link in the show notes as well. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Peter Abrahams. Stephen King said, Peter Abrahams is my favorite American suspense novelist. Peter has had a long and successful career as a suspense and thriller writer, including novels such as Oblivion, The Tudor, The Fury of Rachel Monet, Hard Rain, and The Fan. Peter also has a series of, for young adults, The Echo Falls Mysteries. Finally, under the pen name Spencer Quinn, Peter has written a series of New York Times best-selling mystery novels, The Chet and Bernie Mysteries. Doggone It was the first book in that series. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Well, The Sound and the Furry, the latest Chet and Bernie mystery, was published in September. For those listeners who haven't read The Sound and the Furry yet, how would you describe the novel? (laughs) Well, the Chet and Bernie mysteries are detective novels that are narrated by the detective's dog. Bernie is the detective and Chet is the dog. I have to emphasize these are Chet is not a talking dog. He's not a human in a dog suit. He doesn't know anything about Mozart. He's as purely canine as I could make him. But you know, if you know dogs, you know that they have a narrative going on in their mind, and that's what's on the page. Chet's take on the cases that he and Bernie at the little detective agency, because Bernie's last name is Little. Chet is Chet, pure and simple, as he reminds the reader from time to time. And that's the, they take on these cases, and Chet is the one who narrates them. Now, in The Sound and the Furry, most of it is book six in the series, but they can be read in any order, because Chet would never worry about what order to read. He only goes as far as two when it comes to numbers, and that's the perfect number in his mind. So Chet, they live in what Chet thinks is the, va- is, here's the, the valley. He thinks of it as the valley. That's how people talk about it. We know that it's probably in Arizona, although word in the Arizona is never mentioned in the first five books. But here in book six, they take a case in Bayou Country, uh, and they get to Bayou Country in Louisiana, and Bernie has to show their card to someone, you know, someone they're questioning, and the person looks at the card, their you know their business card, and he says, "Oh, you're from Arizona." And the next line is Chet, of course, because it's all Chet. Ha, we were from Arizona. I'd wondered about that. So in book six, (laughs) page 93 of the series, you finally, Chet finds out, and you find out, it's the first time the word Arizona has been used. So they take, the reason they go to Louisiana is because the book starts in Arizona. 
and they're driving along on the road and they see one of those prison work crews. You know, the guys in orange jumpsuits? Mm-hmm. Well, Chet and Bernie always slow down when they see that because there's a very good chance they know somebody. And in this case, they do. Frenchy Boutet is in his orange jumpsuit. And they have a little chat with him and he says that his brother Ralph, back in Bayou Country, the only good person in his family, has gone missing. And he hires them. Well, he wants to hire them, but, you know, he doesn't have money. You know, Chet sees that he has no pockets in his orange jumpsuit, so there's no way he can pay them. But that night, um, Frenchie's wife, actually quite a good-looking woman, Bernie is very surprised, comes to their door and hands them three grand to go take the case in Louisiana, and Chet notices that the money smells of shrimp. And that's the first clue. <laughs> Great. Well, as you just mentioned, um, and as you explained, that the, the books are narrated from the point of view of, of Chet, who's a dog. When you started thinking of initially about the series, was that um, point of view, was, was that in your mind from the very beginning? That or? was the beginning. It, that it was going to be a mystery series narrated but not spoken by the detective's dog in the first person. And prior to that, I think I'd written maybe a short story in the first person. I'd never written in first person in all my other work. So I actually, uh, right after getting the idea, and I had no idea of the plot or the story, I wrote the first page of Dog on it immediately just to see if I what the voice would... And it turns out I love writing in that voice, and I've become more like Chet as the years go by <laughs> with me writing the series. Well, it's true even in a way, you know... Um, these are not cozies. You know, dark things happen, Chet suffers at times, but what I noticed is he bounces back to his reset position quite quickly, and his reset position is one of feeling optimistic. I'm not normally that way, but since writing this character, I've kind of imitated him. It's funny, like, a, it's crazy. A figment of my own imagination has now influenced my own personality. Uh, that's interesting. I, I'm curious if, if that point of view um, decision has caused you any problems in terms of the structure of the novels at, at points. Oh, it's full of problems. Yeah. Sure, because you're... Um, it's a dog, right? He, <laughs> Chad is a dog, so he, 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 he smells and hears way better than we do. So he knows, for example, that there's danger or conversely no danger in some darkened room that they're going to way ahead of Bernie, but he, he's in, he, he, he doesn't always know what's important. In fact, and, and he gets he's very easily sidetracked, you know, like by a snack or the prospect of a snack <laughs> or she, uh, the barking of a female dog from across the canyon you know, the case can wander totally off track and things like that. So to tell this story, which is a detective kind of fiction mystery story, from this unreliable viewpoint where the reader just has to be patient because at some key moment where you're going to find something out, you do not, right? But Bernie makes up for some of these, you know, you know, so I just, the most, here's the most important thing about the series, actually, and you know, people always say, you know, do you get stuck? What happens when you get writer's block? How do you... And uh, I don't get writer's block. And the reason is that whenever I feel I'm getting a bit stuck, I step back and I think of the story that makes the engine... The, 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 the engine that makes the story go. A lot of books don't have an engine that makes them go. But if I step back and think of the engine that makes a story go, some narrative line always suggests itself. And the engine that makes the Chet and Bernie mysteries go is the love between Chet and Bernie. 
I just bear in mind the love between Chet and Bernie, I'm okay. And that's, I think, uh, so I had to make Bernie worthy of this love, even though he's a, you know, a detective who's had difficulties in his life and he's divorced and it was a mess and he doesn't have his son and that's messy too and and he's made some bad decisions and yet there's something lovable about him because Chad loves him. Great. Well, um, I know you've had a successful career as a writer. Can you remember the path to publication for you for your first novel of getting it published? Well, these are, I guess, okay, there were still Neanderthals on the planet, and I found one to be my agent. Actually, that's so close to the truth. Um, I, I was very lucky. I had a cousin who had just gotten a book sold in New York, and she had an agent. Um, and uh, she said, uh, why don't you call my agent? Which I did, and he, I have a new agent. I most of my careers with been not with him, mm-hmm. but that's how I found my first agent. Right, and he, uh, I believe there was an auction, and that was the beginning. And, and and had you always wanted to be a writer? What was it like, and when you you know did write your first novel? I always wanted to be a professional baseball player, and failing that, a professional athlete of some type. That didn't happen, and it was clear it wasn't <laughs> going to at a very early age. Um, I always knew, sort of, that I could write. And I loved literature. My mother taught me everything I know about writing when I was a kid. She was a writer, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, I tried it. I guess it was always in the back of my mind. Great. Well, um, when you wrote the Echo Falls mysteries, which were for young adults, did, did you find the process different? Or was it, was it just basic things like chapter length and word choice? Yes. You know what? The, uh, the, the, main, the protagonist is a 13-year-old girl. You actually need to get here. We can move. And quarter till the class okay. starts. Okay. Should we go? Um, what time is it? Oh, we got time. Okay. I don't want to. We got fifteen minutes or so. Okay. Um, so, so, so the 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 young adult. Oh well, um, the thirteen-year-old girl is the main character, and she's the protagonist. I didn't. You know, I just. It's from her. These are written in third person close. It's from her. She's in every scene. It's from her point of view, uh, and all the attitudes and thoughts are the attitudes and thoughts of a thirteen-year-old girl. So I really just slipped into that voice. I don't, you know. First of all, here's, you know, maybe you don't believe it, but once I was a kid myself, <laughs> we're all like trees with those rings in us, and so the thirteen-year-old ring is in me, and I went back and found it. And, of course, I had four kids of my own, you know, so they all went through being 13. I saw it four times in sequence, <laughs> so I was prepared to do it. So I don't do any anything where I sit down and say, okay, I have to make a list of things I'm doing now because it's for a 13-year-old. I just slipped into the persona. Right. That's how I do it. So, so as a writer, do you feel like your writing process has stayed consistent book to book? Just in terms of like, do you do you you know outline, or are you more of an organic writer, or, or does it change from book to book? No, it doesn't. I'm more maybe painterly now. Actually, I used to outline, but uh, at the very beginning, like I would make an A through Z outline. It might take me two months, and then when I got to C, some some character would blurt something that wasn't in the outline that would throw the thing off track, but it was better than what I had planned. So I stopped with the outlines, and I I like to get the engine that drives the story. The first scene, 
a few big lighthouse scenes along the way, and then that it's resolvable. I don't care I don't exactly how it's going to be resolved at when, in the beginning, just that it can be drawn to a conclusion. And I let it, whether it's a happy or sad ending or dark, is going to be dictated by what happens in the story. To tack on a black ending, a dark ending on something that's been light all the way, just to sort of be hip and noirish, to me is just as bad as a Hollywood ending where they tack on the good one, you know, the happy ending of dark material. Right. It has to fit organically. Sure. Well, well, given your success as a writer, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening? Uh, Make sure you love writing, because there's a lot of static and difficulty in it, but if you love that sitting down and writing even though it's the hardest thing you'll do but you know for you know David Ortiz even the hardest thing he'll do still is hit a baseball and he loves it so that that type of thing I love doing it even though it's the hardest thing I do sure well, well what books or authors have you read lately that you would recommend either nonfiction or fiction the most recent book I read was called um Guns at Last Light by Rick Atkinson. It's a World War Three. It's, it's a work of nonfiction, mm-hmm. basically taking the European theater from D-Day to the end. And uh, I'm just interested in it. You know, my dad is a veteran, and you know, I always call him a veteran. Oh, I speak to him others, but to, just to thank him, and he because he was in that exact theater. Sure. And uh, I would say thanks, Dad. And he always says it's the same answer. I had a very lucky war, and it was great for me. Wow. So um, I, that's yeah, I, my I most actually, recent I book. Read, I actually read the one before that about Sicily the, um, or no, no, the one North Italy. Africa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. North Africa. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Which was really interesting. I had never Fascinating. really. Fascinating. The really best known. parts are the letters home and all that. They can make you cry. Yeah. 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 So, so what are you working on now? I am working on the seventh Chet and Bernie, which takes place in Washington, D.C., and it's kind of a Chet and Bernie go there, and they, that's where Bernie's girlfriend, Susie's a reporter, and they fall into a kind of an, a John le Carré, Graham Greene-like spy thing, only it's going to be narrated, of course, by Chet the dog. And I'm also going to be doing a new mystery series for Scholastic, for middle grade kids, called the Bowser and Jolene series, starting in 2015. Great. And can you tell us anything about that? Uh, these are also going to be narrated by a dog named Bowser. Jolene is an 11-year-old girl who lives with her grandmother who operates a little sport fishing business down in the bayous of Louisiana. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Peter Abrahams under the pen name Spencer Quinn. Peter has written the New York Times bestselling Chet and Bernie Mysteries. Peter, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Chet. Great. Great. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.